I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. She's forgotten her place. The doctor refuses to induce. There's nothing we can do but wait for the baby to come. Do you really think so? I suppose there are ways. Baby might come out sooner. You don't own me. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There's a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode drops on SBS and at SBS On Demand. And we hope you agree. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Live. Hi. Hello. And... Haiti Island, content Hi. programmer for SBS On Demand. Hello. <laughs> now, Haiti, welcome back. You were on the panel a couple of weeks ago when I had some personal leave, but you are back to uh, see us through to the end of the uh, series. Now, as we all know, Sana has gone overseas back to Canada with her husband, but uh, we all probably know she's gone off to stalk Max Minghella. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so... Bit of a change to the broadcast schedule on SBS this week, and this is a good time to have you on as well, Hayley. Um, <laughs> so episode 10 has only screened at SBS On Demand at the time we're recording. That's right, yeah. So it's available on demand, but it will only be airing on SBS next, next week. week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So if you haven't watched it on television yet and that's how you choose to watch it, then pause, come back to us, we'll wait. But <laughs> everyone else, if you've caught it at SBS On Demand, we are going to get into some spoilers because this is a big episode, episode 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yes, my if, God. You, if you've only seen the one where they've gone to Canada, this isn't the one for you. <laughs> you need to have watched <laughs> the one after Canada. But just a reminder for all TV viewers, both episode 10 and 11 are airing back to back on SBS next week. So we're going to be recapping episode 10 in this week's podcast and we're going to be joined by a special guest, someone who's actually directed The Handmaid's Tale, Dana Reid. She's Australian and she's directed the episodes that follow this one. So she knows what happens. She knows where Nick is. But we don't get into that because she's sworn to secrecy and I haven't seen those episodes and I want to watch them. So that's coming up later. So do stick around for that. All right, let's get into it. So we have just watched episode 10, which is called The Last Ceremony, (gasps) which you can probably take to have multiple meanings. Mm, Exactly, yeah. (laughs) All right, so quick synopsis. Again, it's not really possible to do a quick one, but I'll give it my best. A false alarm in the baby stakes humiliates Serena and causes her to punish June and stage a revenge ceremony as a means to bring on the birth. Mm -hmm. Um, That was so messed up in so many ways. Anyway, yes. We'll get to that. Um, The commander belatedly tries to make amends with Offred. Eden, the sneaky devil, Mm. she uh, pours her heart out to Nick but uh, gets pushed further away. And Offred is faced with an unexpected reunion. Mm. Um, That's the sound of our hearts breaking. Um, And we end on a massive cliffhanger again. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get into it. Um, Natalie, if it's at all possible to distill one moment from this episode, what stood out for you? Oh, yeah, there is. I do think that the show is putting in little gifts for us. Mm. And I think the gift 
this week, and I think it's one for Sana actually, was um, when June arrived home in the back of the ambulance and oh, Nick was the one yeah. to get her out and they had this moment where they both stopped and just looked at each other and then he helped her walk up the stairs. And I just thought you could totally see that there's an alternate life for those two that they could really, <laughs> that could have been them coming home with like... About to have their baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That was going to be my highlight too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goodie. That's all right. I have a backup highlight. Yes. My little moment in this episode, among all the darkness, was Rita telling June that she was going to tell the baby about her. Yeah. That little promise to kind of care and love. Mm. That was nice. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to those moments. For me, it's kind of really what I love about this show and what makes me so exasperated about it as well and exhausted, but just the way it combines horror because that's in here mm-hmm. and humour because I had a couple mm-hmm. of laughs early on in the episode and then, you know, I'm bawling by the end of it again. Like I just, know, right? <laughs> it, just the way it shifts gears in a such a elegant way, like it's not a feel something right now. It, it builds up <laughs> on you when you catch yourself out, I do. Yeah, it just handles those gear changes with such confidence and I... Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I'm always very yeah, and I I think I say this every week, but I'm always impressed by the storytelling because mm. it never goes where I think it's going to go. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and so if we should perhaps start with that false labour, yep. Um, <laughs> I kind of didn't see that coming. I didn't see the labour coming so soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had thought it would be the end episode, as maybe a lot of people did. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> it may still be. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yes. Well, my, my feeling on that is that they kind of don't repeat shots in the show. So that's done now. So mm. they gave us, so I think serious. perhaps for whatever the ending is going to mm. be. Wherever that baby's getting born. Yeah. They clearly know that it's actually not going to be born in that sort of typical Gilead way. So yeah. instead they found a way to give us that moment. <laughs> so we get to see Serena in that white dress and her go through that ritual. And then we see... June doing it as well and I thought I don't think we're going to see this again and maybe this is what that episode title of the last ceremony actually means so that means for me it's like where is she going to have that baby Mm. (laughs) in the abandoned house maybe (laughs) we've still got three episodes to go (laughs) (laughs) and another series (laughs) yeah I mean there are a couple of possibilities like you were saying Natalie of what the uh, title could be referring to it could be this being the last instance of the birthday ceremony mm-hmm. in the Waterford household. Or it could be a reference to the scene in the bedroom with uh, Serena and Fred mm-hmm. and June mm-hmm. being the last instance of the monthly ceremony yeah. or yeah. this kind of... Fingers crossed. You know, version of it. I actually really want... Like, I did want to talk about... Because they did show two versions of the rape ritual. Yes. One which was for Emily and one which was for June. And I Mm. thought it was interesting how they did them. I feel like we saw them in a different way than we have in the past. For example, the one in um, for Emily, you actually really saw the husband of that household climaxing. You know, he Mm. had like... You heard the breathing, you heard the gasping and... And the the camera was actually on his face as well in a way that you sort of don't normally see in television. So I thought that was quite disturbing. Um, And then the same thing with... June and Fred and Serena, I thought um, the way that they really made it absolutely clear for any viewers at home who perhaps weren't thinking the handmaids were fighting back enough, like they made it so clear that she was saying no when she was struggling and she was trying to get away. And Serena had her hands. Oh, yes, yes. And this was like for me, this was, I've been watching 
sort of Serena and their reactions to Serena with sort of keen interest. And this was the return of Serena the monster. Yeah. Like I've always known that she's there, but I thought there was <laughs> some people out there are still kind of thinking that she might come good or they're still seeing the good in her. They are imagining the good in her because I don't <laughs> think we've really seen it. Yeah. But this episode sort of all we saw was the bad, really. And, again, it was a revenge ceremony because, like, it was how can we bring on this birth and, mm-hmm. you know, they say sex can bring it on. So it was like, well, let's do it the natural way. But you know what's funny with that? It's like sex isn't what brings it on. It's actually sexual pleasure for mm-hmm. the mother, so they've mm, got it completely yeah. wrong. Of course, it's Gilead, so of course they've got <laughs> yeah. it wrong. And so, but it also like reminded me as well that simming as they are so insistent on having new babies and everything is about the baby. And just like two episodes ago, Serena was risking herself to try and save a baby's mm. life. Except when it comes to birth, it's all at home. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like all of a sudden they're more important, you know, and, and they the baby wants chemical interventions. Mm. It's, it's teas and mm. it's tea and sex <laughs> that can, can bring it on, and C-section as a last resort. But on that point of you know, you see the men during the ceremony in their faces, and like this whole episode for me, it could have been called body language or something because on so many scenes, in so many scenes, it's so physical. It's in nice ways. Like for Eden, she gets a kiss mm-hmm. or, you know, it's June caressing her tummy. Mm-hmm. But it struck me as far more physical than most other scenes oh, interesting. recently. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago we saw Janine and the benefit of skin-on-skin contact mm-hmm. with the baby and that helped revitalise um, baby Charlotte, Angela. But this one, you know, there's heart attacks, there's mm. swift kick in the groin, There's mm-hmm. they're gossiping about exactly where he was when yeah. he died. You know, it's Serena's hands, it's talk about the contractions. It's just, just so physical and yeah, it was. visceral and, yeah, it, it just struck me that this one more than most, you know, the violence right at the end. I think the the series is really focusing in on Gilead now. I think this is the third episode we've had in a row where there have been no flashbacks to characters' yes. past lives yes. and, mm-hmm. you know, there's no glimpses of the outside world in this episode. Like, it's sort of along with this idea of this really kind of bodily, physical um, feeling and intensity, I think we're kind of focusing in on the happenings of Gilead. And it was it was also, it was really confronting to me at the beginning of the episode coming into this ceremony scene with Emily because we haven't seen the ceremony kind of play out for a long time in the while. series yeah. and it's, it's confronting when it comes back. But then that scene is clearly set up to then contrast to the much more confronting mm. scene later in the episode with June and Fred and Serena. Yeah. And I think that's it's a, a narrative device that's very well used in this series where they mirror experiences yes. between different sets of characters. Yeah. So the scene with Emily and the scene with June the internal monologue that runs through their head in each scene is is exactly almost word for word, mm-hmm. but they are very different scenes. And yeah. I saw that two more times actually in this episode. Yeah. One was when Serena was going through her sort of labour ritual, and and Angela's mother says to her, "You so deserve this." So deserve yes. And then when Fred gives June her surprise of yep. her visit to Hannah, he says, you deserve, you deserve this. It. And I thought, oh, how, inter- mm, how interesting yeah. that they have married this again. Yeah. And the same thing, which is when June has that heartbreaking goodbye to Hannah, everything that she is saying to Hannah, which is be brave, get in the car, don't make trouble. And then when, and then when Nick is hugging her, he could have said all the exact mm. same lines to her, but mm-hmm. that was also the same and that there's a lot of that sort of repetition which mm. shows 
Yeah. No. In a way that's quite informative. And it's not really obvious in the way they do it either. No. Like it's sometimes it's just, oh, actually, yeah. We, mm. um, and on that internal monologue during the ceremonies, it's about trying to be out of your body to not experience what's going on. Mm. And then, like we say, it's just we're all in the body for the rest of it. <laughs> mm. You treat it like a job, an unpleasant job to be gotten through as fast as possible. You steal yourself. You pretend not to be present, not in the flesh. You leave your body. I think there are a lot of mirroring of experiences between Fred and Serena and then Serena in turn to June yeah. and it happens again in this episode where a couple of episodes ago when Serena was getting beaten by Fred, she she turns to him and she says, you don't have to do this. This is not something, you know, you can choose not to do this. And June turns to Serena in the, in the bedroom scene oh, and yeah. says exactly yeah. the same thing to her. You know, you don't have to do this where mm. they're in this kind of private sphere where the rules of Gilead don't necessarily have to penetrate that far. But, mm-hmm. but in this moment, Serena and Fred are making the same decision that Fred in turn had made to Serena to yeah. exert that power where they didn't necessarily have to. And I think that was a really difficult thing but something mm. that's been happening a lot in the series yeah I think that, I think it's really good how they highlight that personal choice does matter mm. um, because yes you can obey by the laws of Gilead and you I think it's seen to be obeying yeah, yeah or you have someone like Eden for example yeah. who <laughs> sort of really believes in it she has been raised to believe in it and she is following it to the letter or is she? <laughs> well, she was. A patch by the garbage can. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I've, I actually finally felt sorry for her because yeah. I haven't felt that sorry for her up until now, even mm. though I probably should have. But she's she's finally having Gilead bite her because she's actually wanted everything so far. Even though mm. we look at it and we realise how messed up it is, she's actually wanted all of this. But she's finally sort of realising that her dreams are not coming true this way and she's seeing that you know because she's 14 or 15 and she should be out meeting boys and having her first kiss and going out on a date and instead she's married to a guy who doesn't love her unrighteous to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness don't you care why don't you care it's okay you're not in trouble you don't look at me You don't touch me unless you have to. You've never kissed me. I've never been kissed until tonight. I'm your wife. You just caught me cheating on you. You should care. I could not give less of a shit about her kissing the Guardian. (laughs) I love that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. I mean, mind you, she claims the whole moral ground pretty quick. Oh, yeah, she's on her knees apologising. Hey, hang on, you should care. (laughs) But it was quite funny in the, like, for Nick... I, like, I really felt for him because he didn't get a bride. He actually got a child yeah. and he really has been sort of thrust into less of a husband role and more of a father figure role. Yes. And mm. there was like basically a, like a young girl bawling her eyes out in the same room as him and she doesn't need a husband. And the thing is he is ill-equipped to provide her with either role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he is just like great. Thanks for that gift, guys. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I did like the shot of him at the table. It's just like. Just stop crying. Like, like, oh, he's not being nasty dumb. about it. But also this is the day where he almost watched his baby be born and be grabbed by another couple. He had to stand and listen to those pigs smoking mm-hmm. cigars in the room talking about 
what they objectifying thought, exactly yeah, for all they knew there's a woman upstairs about to give birth and one of them's calling dibs on her next like yeah. he's having to put up with all this and sorry little girl mm-hmm. <laughs> i know you're hurting right now but really not mm-hmm. <laughs> not my priority right now so yeah interesting scene yeah i, I have enjoyed watching her her little rebellion bloom this episode, yes. though, because when she first came in to the series and she was this naive young thing, uh, my first impression was, ooh, she's going to get swayed in a different direction. Like she's so fresh that she could either do the bidding of Serena or I could sort of see her going mm-hmm. down the rebellious line yes. even. I thought that avenue was open. So it's nice to see this rebellious strand emerge in her against Gilead. She doesn't realise how lucky she is that basically Serena is not using her as a tool and neither is Nick. Like she's really upset and her heart is broken, but hopefully one day, (laughs) 10, 20 years down the track, she'll actually realise how lucky she really was. Could have been a hell of a lot worse. Mm -hmm. I also think the scene is really important because it kind of waters down her potency as a character. Like I think the exchange between her and Nick where she suggests that Nick is interested in The Handmaid Mm -hmm. and he kind of brushes it aside and says, no, you're dreaming, kind of shows that she's kind of ready to accept that, oh, no, she's wrong. and that the power she thought we thought that she had to maybe dob Nick into the mm. authorities and get him taken away. I think this scene is showing us that that's not going to happen. That's not yeah. the oh, direction well, she's going in. As far as we know, who knows with this show? Like, I mean, we don't know where Nick went or how he got yeah. where he went. You know, conspiracy could have been something to do with her. Could have been her boyfriend, the Guardian. Don't know. But well, anyway, let, let's expand the. Let's go. Let's. I still wonder if Fred's going to use her because Fred, as we found out, is about to lose his handmaid and he doesn't get another one. I thought that was. I didn't really know that. I didn't realize that once they have a baby, he has to give up June because she mm-hmm. now has to go to another house, but they don't get to try for baby number two. So basically, his sex play thing is about to is about to leave Mm. and because he doesn't get another one I thought well there is this other young girl in their house yes who's very vulnerable to him and we've seen her one or two episodes ago trying to please him remember Mm. like she made him a gift and said do you think he likes it and I thought oh gosh I know I wondered would she be invited to play Scrabble but not that she could but Mm. you know (laughs) teacher (laughs) and other things but that's a horrible thought although if June leaves the house will the series stay with the Waterford household it's hard to see characters like Serena and Fred exiting the series it Mm. is isn't it like Mm. yeah I do imagine that they'll stick around but we do have three episodes to go and as you said, Heidi, they really are sort of ramping it up. Hmm. And so on the Fred thing, June tries to negotiate some access to Hannah. Knowing she's going to move hmm. on, she tries to get shifted to the um, district where Hannah hmm. is. She knows how to draw him in. Again, touching. She points the belly at him and he responds by touching it. She thinks, okay, this is my in. I'm going to give it a red hot go. Mm-hmm. But she misjudges it by questioning whether or not he might have the power mm-hmm. to move her. And mm-hmm. that's what gets him upset. Not the fact she's yeah, asked. that's his sensitive point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not how dare you ask to go near your daughter. It's how dare you question that I might have the authority to put you near your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bit of a false step. Please. If it is at all within your power to do that. Who are you to tell me what's within my power? And then we get the revenge ceremony. But he comes to his senses, does he? I don't know. But yeah, he, uh, he didn't have a, quite a turnaround, didn't he? Yes. But he went from yelling at her and then talking to Serena about her and saying that she's... Getting, doesn't know her place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To then deciding to give her 
a gift and I thought, what is his... <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of... Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm also blocking that from my memory. Okay. Yes, I just don't think they feel guilty though. So even though she was really fighting back in that scene, in that rape, rape scene, yeah. I don't think either of them walked away and felt bad about it. So I don't think that is his motivation for giving her the surprise gift for Hannah. So therefore, what is his motivation then, which is what I guess I'm sort of left questioning... So basically, to recap slightly, he told June that he had a surprise for her. Next thing you know, she's being shuttled into the car. Nick is driving. Nick is given an address and it turns out they're taken to a house and she gets to have 10 minutes with Hannah, which is an amazing gift. But I really don't think that he really thought about it in that way. I I don't think that Fred's there thinking, I've really done... June a real favour here. Like, so what <laughs> actually is his motivation? And Haiti, I think that you maybe have had an idea about this. Yeah, there are kind of two sides to Fred that get depicted in this series. There's, there's Fred the the weakling in contrast to Serena, who's kind of mm. this very strong-willed character that doesn't necessarily have power in certain spheres. And in contrast to other commanders as well. Like and in contrast to other commanders, yeah. he's sort of often depicted as weak, as, you know, going back on his decisions, mm. on making exceptions, on giving in to June. And I, I kind of have a hunch that the series is trying to make us think that in this instance, he's sort of reconsidering and feeling guilty and making an exception for June again and giving into her wishes. But I think maybe that's not the case. I think that he's finally cracked that Ooh. June's kind of taunting of him in saying that the child is not his in that confrontation in the office has brought back the doubt that he had in season one where Serena said something along the same lines. She alluded. Yeah, she kind of alluded to the fact that it wasn't his child because he wasn't worthy of having a child. I think he knows it's Nick's child. By simple deduction, there's not that many men around. There was an episode where Aunt Lydia mentioned the father and his eyes eyes went straight to Nick. I've got this dread in my heart that Fred has set up this whole situation as a means to get rid of Nick, Mm. to possibly even get rid of the child that isn't his, along with the handmaid that he's sick to death of. And what confirms this in my mind is the conversation that Nick has with Eden where she's questioning him about his involvement with the handmaid. And he says this line that's something along... suicide. Yeah, it's like, no, don't be stupid. Involving myself with a handmaid would be suicide. suicide. And I can't help but think he's just foreshadowing his own demise. (laughs) Because one thing that did happen in the episode that we found out about, which was when all the men were in their living room, we find out that... One of the men of Gilead just mm-hmm. got a promotion and he got a promotion because his wife had a natural born child, mm-hmm. not via a handmaid. So it turns out that if your wife can have a baby, then you get a promotion. And if we know anything about Fred is that he, all he cares about is work really and getting a promotion and power. having more power. Power, power, power. So to feed into that theory, Haiti, could it be that if he gets rid of Nick and he gets rid of June and the baby, next on his list is to get rid of Serena because she's already proven to be quite disobedient <laughs> anyway. But that leaves Eden, Eden. who oh, needs who needs a, a husband <laughs> and she's young and possibly fruitful. I think you've just written All the right. next season. All right, we've cracked it. So thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to Actually, watch anymore. And, I, and I've um, said that and I really hope it's not true. <laughs> 
I can't see Serena leaving this series. She is the best character in The Handmaid's Tale. I did spot people uh, speculating maybe she's off to the colonies for um, oh. <laughs> almost Whoa. tropical treason last week. But. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't been to the colonies because we don't know anyone there now. So yeah. uh, someone's got to go back if we get another glimpse at that place. Um, well, that's a wild theory. Um, I, yeah, I also, uh, yeah, I wonder about the Nick ending as well. As we know, some other guardians came and what are you doing here? It's an abandoned house and didn't mm-hmm. buy Nick's line. It's like, mm. who, are, who are these guys? Where yeah, do they yeah. come from? Um, and also a scuffle. One gunshot, mm-hmm. but and I thought no the gun blood was pointed the, down. The, they shot the snow because there's no blood in the snow in the last aerial shot. So no one mm. had any immediate bleeding. He's bundled off who knows where. So, yeah, you're speculating it's a Fred situation. Possibly. It could be somehow linked back to Eden. I don't know, and her her own guardian, but he wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Any other potential because Because they weren't, it wasn't like it was a May Day plan, which Nick was yeah. in on, because yeah. otherwise he would have approached them in a lot more, hey, you guys have finally turned up, rather than he did look quite apprehensive yes. and he told June to hide. So yeah. they clearly mm. were enemies in sort of that sense. Yeah, they mm. were. So if Nick, yeah, so if Nick wasn't really shot but he was bundled off in a car where is he going what is that plan <laughs> am i missing something uh, well, he doesn't have his powerful ally anymore he died in the mm. um yeah. explosion so because fred arranged for him to have the wife and have eden in a way so nick would be occupied because i think fred realized that the baby was nick's mm. So mm. all of a sudden Fred realises that and then Nick's getting a child bride. Perhaps Fred has realised that that hasn't actually worked and Nick is still around the house and around June a lot. So maybe Fred is getting rid of Nick, but where is Nick going? Mm. I don't think we've seen the last of Nick, mm. if only because I'm pretty sure I read an article where he was interviewed where he said one of his favourite scenes was with him and June right towards the end and I thought, I don't think we've seen that yet. I think I think Nick's still got a moment to come. Mm. Yeah, I can't see him disappearing completely. We're going to have to see where he ends up. And that's true. When June's not there, we tend not to see what's happening in her absence as well. Like if something does happen to Nick, I mm. doubt we'll just hear about it when she gets back somewhere mm. or if she gets back. And that's the point. She's wandering around in the snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the hell just happened? Yeah. So if Fred knows, is the next episode him turning up to squirrel her away somewhere or there's so much in the air now with the (laughs) possibilities left at the end of the episode but I I think before we get to predicting what may happen next I think we need to talk about like the elephant in the room of this episode I think we've all been avoiding it because it was so it was traumatic for me I don't know about you guys but the the meeting with Hannah the the 10 minutes in the in the room with Hannah barely even if that yeah that was really hard um and I cried of course I did yeah yeah. (laughs) prefaced also with the early conversation with Emily in the store about their yes, children. That was you why know, I had like, that conversation. Yeah, her son made it out with her wife, and June is saying that to her. You know, at least your mm. son got out. I don't know where my daughter is. So that that sort of prefaces it. And then with Rita saying, "I'll tell your baby about you," but then when she does actually come face to face with Hannah, like, what good would telling someone about the mother you never see mm-hmm. help? Because you see what it's done to Hannah. Yeah. I sort of feel that because we've seen Hannah in this episode, I think that we're going to see her again. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. But that scene that she had with Hannah and trying to figure out if you only had 10 minutes with your child and what would you actually say to them. Yeah. Just how hard that was to watch. But also when 
Hannah had to leave, but she was still calling out for her mummy. And then June ran outside of the house when she wasn't meant to, just so she could give Hannah one last hug. Mm. I got to say, watching that scene with what's happening in the US at the moment Mm. with the US media is just full of the stories of like children being separated from their parents at the border and how horrifying that is. And I thought... How amazing for this show. I can't believe how well it's predicting so many real-life political instances. In the same weeks. I mean, last week's Canada episode, we recorded our podcast early, but of course um, Mm -hmm. the the spat between Mm. Trump and and Justin Trudeau um, happened just as there was a clash with Canada on screen as well. So, yeah, week by week this show is just (laughs) mirroring hitting so many real-world politics, real-world events. Mm, Yeah, so now now I'm nervous about how this is going to end for like... A whole bunch of other reasons. Yeah. yeah. What else have they um, predicted? Yeah. How much power do these writers have? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it was a really just a really moving scene watching yes. June go through that exchange with Hannah and and Hannah, you know, not reacting in the way that June mm-hmm. hoped that she would and, and being angry as she yeah. so deserved to be. Because she's comprehending it as a child would. It's sort of like, yeah. you left me and like, mm-hmm. did you try? Did you really try? Yeah. And, and the moment where um, June is holding it together and almost saying everything that you would hope that you would say in the mm-hmm. same situation putting on a brave face for Hannah and then there's this moment when she's outside telling her to be brave and um, take her Martha's hand and and go home and back to her life and then she gives Hannah a hug and as soon as her face is out of sight of Hannah's she just crumbles crumbles and Mm. loses it and then pulls herself back together as she pulls away from the hug so that Mm -hmm. Hannah doesn't see her um, how upset she is. Yeah, It's such a parental thing to do, yeah. isn't it? But heartbreaking. Yeah. But also Hannah does say, well, I see you again. And June yeah. says, I'm going to try. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think she's <laughs> coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So this week's episode was directed by Jeremy Podesva, who sort of a seasoned TV director. You mentioned Game of Thrones last week. Mm, that he's yes. done a few of those. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, like seasoned high concept drama director. And next week we shift to two episodes by Dana Reed, who is an Australian director. And I was lucky enough to interview her prior to seeing her episodes, of course, so we don't get into the nitty-gritty of any... There's no spoilers <laughs> for next week. Yeah, I know. I want to know, but, uh, yeah, I interviewed her before. I got to see them, of course. So let's have a listen. So, Dana Reid, thank you so much for joining us on Eyes on Gilead. Where do we start with this? I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but how does one get a gig directing Handmaid's Tale episodes? Um, I guess I was really, really fortunate. Um, I'm still kind of pinching myself that it actually happened. I've been you know, working away here in, um, but in Australia for quite some time. But um, uh, a colleague of mine, a good mate of mine, Kate Dennis, of course, directed on Series 1 and received an Emmy nomination. So I'm wondering if you know, she kind of paved the way for another Australian. Yeah, and so I'd been you know, taking journeys overseas and you know, meeting people, and I think it all came out of that. Yeah, right. So I'm curious in series, and especially with a series like this where it does have such a, an established look and template, how do you come in and how do you bring your own style to, to the episodes that you're directing? They're very supportive about bringing yourself to the project and how you see it. And obviously we're not going to change the palette and you, there's so much to do, you know, yeah, why would you? It's, it's beautiful and it's mm. perfect for Gilead. It's very interesting what... One of the pieces of mine that the people um, at Handmaids watched was The Secret River. 
And, you know, I, I could tell when I was watching Handmaids, when I was just a fan of the show, that there was a similar template in the fact that there's very interested in the architecture of the place, but also those very um, shallow depth of field close-ups that really make the journey personal which we'd see with June offered all the time. Mm. Like that really is where the show lives and dies on that. And and we did an unknowns because Handmaids haven't come out yet, a similar visual approach with uh, Secret River to really connect with Will Thornhill, who that story was about. Mm. So um, so I, I love that visual style for a personal journey. So I guess it was a bit as well. So you, I was kind of bringing the natural way I would look at a journey like that fitted for their visual style. Yeah, sure. And who's your chief liaison there? Is it showrunner Bruce Miller? Oh, with, with Bruce, which is you know, such a joy. Like, kind of like sometimes I would have to suppress smiles when I'm having meetings with him and, and also you know, wishing that I could just ask loads more questions just in general about his approach. He's delightful and so clever. But uh, also with Mike Barker and absolutely always, always, always in conversation with Elizabeth Moss. Mm. Um, so not only about the performance, which we spoke at length, there was lots of very full-on things for her to do um, during my block, so we were talking a lot about that. But she's also an executive producer on the show, so you can speak all sorts of story and ideas with her. So very much connected to Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, she's so amazing in it. Most weeks it's... How good is she? And with her, just acting with the eyes as well. You know, watching her act is extraordinary and there's so much inner life going on and she will always, you know, be bringing up new stuff. There would be moments where I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't, I wanted to tell her that and I, there were so many other things to do I didn't tell her, but she will do it. It's mm. kind of like you're, she's very intuitive. She understands, you know, once you've talked where you're coming from, where we're going and it becomes, a, yeah, like you're very much, I always call it a codependent relationship we're really moving through that story together. Um, and, yeah, she's incredibly clever and, and great at running the executive producing side of it as well. Mm. And how does it work? Is there much rehearsal? Look, you do as much as you can. It's, it's, it's really tough because um, Elizabeth is in everything, you know, a lot of it, and yeah, also executive producing it. But I was very lucky to go through what we were up to, and that was just yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, I was re- really fortunate that I got to do that. And the, the act is that um, I didn't uh, rehearse with, I spent a lot of time talking to them, you know, whether that be you know, via the phone or Skype or we just go talk through the script and talk through the journey and where we're going to go. Mm. And uh, with Handmaid's Tale, the set itself may not be like other TV sets and certainly this one, it is very inclusive and they make a point of having a lot of female directors. Did you notice uh, this one is is different to some other other projects you've worked on? Oh, look, I mean, they're very, very focused on, um, you know, having women directors and, and it being a, a women's story. And as I say, Elizabeth Moss really does drive a lot of that and she's a woman. <laughs> but I guess, we're, I guess I've been fortunate. Yes, absolutely. There is a difference between that headspace being on that set and and other shows where the old-fashioned view is still running the show, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's a long-winded answer to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about the journey. <laughs> um, shows that, yeah, there were really fantastic uh, women producers in Australia that I worked with and those shows have been incredible. But 
I just think as far as the hierarchy goes and who holds the power and the money, um, there's a long way to go with that. Yeah, for sure. And this show has such a dedicated and vocal fan base. Um, do you tap in much with that? Are you prepared for that when your reps there? Like no one's short of an opinion these days. I can't. I can't do the Twitter thing. So I just, yeah, I used to. I used to have a little watch of Twitter. Well, now I just watch the episode go to air. I consider that to be part of my job to go, okay, what's the timing like now that it's actually going to air? So I watch that and I tend to not have a look at what people are thinking. I mean, yeah, they have to be vocal. I want them to be vocal. We want people to really wrestle this stuff out and have a go. Yeah. There was an interview that Elizabeth Moss did a couple of weeks ago and, you know, just coming at that criticism of people who don't watch it and don't want to watch it because they think it's too violent. Yeah, her answer was was pretty great, the, the whole wake up. Oh, my God. I was reading something saying that I've turned off, it's too violent, it's too violent for me. And I was think, look at the news. They burnt an Indian girl for reporting a rape mm. and you can't watch The Handmaid's Tale? Give me a break. Yeah. I mean, seriously... That, that kind of backlash squeamishness, there is everybody on that show is so aware that there is no way this becomes anything else but a comment on society, the society that we're in. And I find it quite hilarious that people are going, oh, it's, you know, it's violence for violence's sake. It is, it is nothing compared to what is actually happening to women in the world and has already happened. Uh, it's a reflection of that, then I, I kind of feel like shaking people and going, wake up, you can't watch that, then you must be just closing your eyes to what's actually happening in the world. Yeah, here, here. I think so too. Um, have you had much to do with Margaret Atwood at all? Because I come in at the end, you know, that time has come and gone, right. like the Margaret Atwood time. So when they're coming up with the story arcs and all that sort of stuff, I believe she's around. But, yeah, I was like every corner, every corridor I would turn and, hope that maybe Margaret Atwood would be there, but um, sadly she was not. (laughs) (laughs) Might pop to the loo and there's Margaret or something. (laughs) That would um, have been perfect. Would have loved that. Um, and, I mean, you know, we've talked about the darkness and the seriousness of what goes on in the episodes, but, you know, it does have those moments of light as well and just the wit and the, the dark, very dark humour. I love that element to the story. And, I mean, you have a bit of a comedy background, don't you? Yes. I, that's, I used to, um, when I was an actor, I acted in a comedy show. Yeah. What was your sort of viewing aspect of, of The Handmaids before you started to work on it? What, what was your connection to it with the first series, say? Oh, just a fan. I watched the whole thing. I, I read the book ages ago, um, but had reread it recently when the show came out because I just wanted to reconnect with, you know, just, just out of interest really to go, okay, here's the book, how they're doing it, all that sort of stuff. Uh, just as a fan, one of the reasons I did kind of explore work internationally was to do a bit more genre work. I love doing, um, I love speculative fiction. Uh, I love to read and watch it. And we're doing a little bit in Australia, but not not as much. So, you know, things like that are kind of one of the reasons why, you know, you kind of head off so you can get the opportunity to work on projects like that. But, yes, I was a big fan, so I kind of came to it looking at it through that filter. And I, I, I think that was a real advantage. We, you know, we've talked about working with Elizabeth Moss, but Anne Dowd especially, <laughs> Aunt Lydia, is a villain for the ages. I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but is there any? Is she in any of your episodes? Yes, she is. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to say what she's really like in case it wrecks it. She is so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, she does have those moments where, you know, she's sugar and spice, but uh, 
then it all comes out underneath, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it? right. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about Aunt Lydia and that the complexity of this stuff is that Aunt Lydia cares. She really, really cares about them. She just comes at it from a very, very skewed view. I mean, the, the villains utterly believe that what they are doing is right, that they are doing the right thing. And it's the cost of not doing it in their eyes is greater than the cost of doing it. So, yeah, where Aunt Lydia comes from a place of you know, making sure that the world is a better place that she jabs you with the cattle prod. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a performance. So, yeah, do pass on our kind regards if you're, if you're talking to her. Oh, <laughs> I hope it doesn't people know how utterly lovely she is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much. It's such a thrill to talk to you and congratulations on the episode. We can't wait to see them. I'm, I'm really pleased with them and um, I'm, I'm sure they will not disappoint. No doubt. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dana. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Dana Reed, and it was great to chat to her. And it's so nice to have another Australian connection to the show. Like we're already lucky to have one really, to yeah. have Yvonne mm. Strahovski in there as Serena but also have a female director. Yeah. How, like, fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And uh, Dana also directed um, the SBS series Sunshine, which uh-huh. um, is, is all available to watch on demand, so you should go check it out. Yes, you absolutely should. All right, I think that about wraps up this mega episode. What do we think? Where are we at? <laughs> Where is June at? <laughs> she's in the middle of nowhere. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know what? Because she's stuck in the snow, and i got to say, I feel like Gilead's in some sort of eternal winter. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, when does the season change? It's been freezing the whole time, but we've almost gone through nine months of pregnancy, not to mention the mm. months that June was in the house before she got pregnant. Yeah. And I feel like, was there like a brief episode of spring or summer? But all the rest <laughs> has been freezing. So here we are again, it's snowing and she's kind of isolated. So the idea of her escaping is pretty grim. Mm. Um, that said, she is kind of lucky that if the baby comes now, Babies don't need food for a few months, so um, as long as as long as, <laughs> as long June as can there. find something to eat, yeah, <laughs> the baby will be fine. Um, so I really don't think we're going to see June give birth in the Waterford house. Yes. So where is it going to happen? It very well could be next week in that house on her own. Mm. Um, but if Fred and Serena haven't orchestrated this abduction of Nick they are going to be thinking that June has escaped again. They're going to be wondering Mm. where they are. And we still didn't get that line in this episode of um, if you'd shown that girl. like An ounce of kindness. Exactly. She would never have left. Mm. So, you know, Fred sends her off thinking back in three hours, Mm -hmm. Serena won't know you've gone. Yeah. bit hard to get back when your driver's just been bundled off into a van. Yes. So, yes, I wonder if they maybe don't even know and, and and instead they're just going to assume that Nick and June have run off together. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think at this point in the series it makes sense for June to remain on the run or uh, uh, she's got a chance to escape. escape. Yeah, if, she, if she returns to the Waterfords house again now, it's going to be very disheartening for me. I feel like they... She's they had her moment to us. Yeah, she was actually staying there for <laughs> her moment with that. Hannah and she's had her moment with Hannah now. Yes. And now she's not being watched. So now is her chance to escape. But the environment is just so formidable. So I don't really know how she's going to do that. There must be another house nearby. And where's Emily in all this? Because her commander dropped dead at the start mm. of the episode. So <laughs> she's about to get moved. So Yeah, because there really is no hope for her. That's sort of what I was thinking. June was trying to tell her to not give up. But it's just that sense of you think from a handmaid's point of view, what's the best thing that can happen? It's that the man that's raping you dies. 
but it's not the best thing because then you just get moved to the next house. Mm-hmm. Like it, it never, yeah, it just possible. never ends. Yeah. So perhaps she's got an opening now because the husband is gone, the household will be in disarray as they are dealing with the death and we still don't know what happens to wives once their husbands die. So maybe Emily does have a moment here to get out. Mm. But that said, she probably doesn't know where... June is, but oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't that be great to see the two of them together and fighting back? And I like the bits of defiance that we saw in this episode, but considering sort of the whole theme of season two has been resist, we still haven't really got a massive resistance yet. So mm. I would love to see the two of them banding together to yes. resist together. That would be amazing. Yes, please. <laughs> um, and also we haven't seen Canada this time. We don't. We haven't seen what's come of the ruckus mm, there last exactly. week, like he's been kicked out of the country, but what's happening globally, like diplomatically, that's quite mm-hmm. a, a major revelation that was made last week about the goings on there. So it is that, yeah, Canada can't kick them out of the country and then just not do anything. Yes. So yeah. there has to be something mm. happening there. Mm. Well, <laughs> I'm here for it. And I suspect you ladies are as well. I just um, do have one request. No more harp. Did you notice the harp? <laughs> The harp playing. <laughs> when, when Serena was in her fake labour, there oh, was actually yes. there was actually harp music playing, and then I realised there was a woman playing the oh. harp in the bedroom. <laughs> I just thought, what? Yeah, I clocked that too. It was like a really <laughs> awkward day spa with your best friends, yes. <laughs> laying on of hands in your fake baby ceremony. Yes. Um, what's that woman's job? She can't just be harp. She's just the on-call harpist. Yeah, she comes in the maybe she comes in the baby mobile. <laughs> So bizarre. No more harp, please. We're done. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully that's the last harp. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, Natalie Hambly. Um, Where can we find you on Twitter? I am at Natalie Hambly. And please tweet me. I love it. Heidi, thank you so much for rejoining the panel. It's fantastic. I love being here. (laughs) (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter at anythingbutfifi. And we love hearing your comments about this show and about this podcast. And feel free to leave us some feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. And also send us your theories. Yes. Yeah. Where is Nick? (laughs) How did he get there? Mm -hmm. We love hearing all this. So, yeah, we'll be scrolling through all that. For more Handmaid's coverage, you can head to SBS Guide where I'm doing some episode recaps because I'm a sucker for this series. And you can also find some recommendations for other things to watch at SBS On Demand as you await the next episode of The Handmaid's Tale. So this week there wasn't a broadcast on SBS Australia and that's because of a little thing called the FIFA World Cup. So sorry you didn't get your handmaids on air on the 21st. but Because uh, I think all the um, commanders were busy anyway watching it. <laughs> yeah, they would have been in their dance like their scars. I wonder if they'd, they'd send a team to the World Cup. <laughs> I don't think they'd be allowed to. (laughs) They wouldn't participate in such such (laughs) trivial activities. Um, It's not doing the Lord's work. So as of next Thursday, it's a double episode of Handmaid's Tale on SBS Australia. So it will be episode 10, which we've just recapped, and episode 11. And I have to say, after watching 10, you really want to see 11. So I think actually banking up... one of them so you can watch two in a row was a really good idea. It's actually really good. (laughs) And I've given you a couple of weeks notice of this already, but just to remind you, if you haven't watched series one of The Handmaid's Tale or if you want to go back and rewatch, it's going to expire on the 30th of June. So you really are going to have to binge it now. So do that at your peril. (laughs) You should do it, but just adopt appropriate self-care methods. Tell that friend that's been putting it off and putting it off. Exactly. Now is the time. Less than two weeks. They really do. So 
also tell them to go get a massage or hug a puppy or something yeah. when they do it because it's going to be rough. <laughs> be there to support them. Exactly. So thank you for listening. Eyes on Gilead is produced by Dan Barrett and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. All flavour fools the best of us. You might consider timing the contractions next time. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.